Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is Carl Wilde. Afternoon, Carl. Morning, Carl, rather. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. Yourself, mate? Yeah, good stuff. Um, it's been a busy morning, productive morning, but I'm sure it's going to get even better after this conversation, Carl. So just to, before we get into it, though, uh, maybe just give a brief insight around who you are, what you do, and we'll kind of go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so 
basically got a couple of couple of irons in the fire, as as they say. So my main role at the moment is I work for a university uh, in the UK uh, called UCFB. Uh, we concentrate mainly on football specific degrees, so it might be in terms of media, in terms of journalism. Uh, but my particular side's on on coaching, so I, I run one of the uh, courses, which is football coaching management. Uh, at the Etihad campus in Manchester and we have another campus in Wembley as well so basically we're just helping students go through three years and obtain a degree in terms of coaching and the management side of the game uh, so that, that's my main role uh, outside of that I also work for uh, Chester Football Club uh, I look after the junior section there so main role is uh, player development, but also coach development. So I support the, the, the coach in terms of delivery sessions and, and on game day and, and putting things in place to uh, maximise player potential. Um, just recently, uh, worked for the FA as well, doing uh, tutoring. So I worked on the level one and level two courses, which has just been revamped at the moment. Um, so that, that may continue with myself. And then the final thing is just, just have my first book published uh, just back in September, which was the Intelligent Soccer Coach. Just completed my second book as well, and that's due out around about September of this year as well. So, yeah, hopefully that sort of sums up where I am at the moment. Yeah, it definitely does. And I think, you know, right at the top of that, you said there's a few irons in the fire, and I think that you've hit the nail right on the head with that. So let's just, uh, you know, look, come back to yourself and start the start of your journey. So how, when did you first get into coaching? And I'm sure that, you know, all the other things that you've mentioned there, there's, there's going to be plenty of things I'm going to touch on as we go through it. Yeah, absolutely. So started a little bit later in, in, in the day compared to maybe other people. Didn't start until around about the early 30s. So it was, it was just around about 15 years ago. But quite like a lot of other people in terms of it, I was sort of dragged into it. My son just started playing football local football, they needed a coach. There were some coaches there already, but he needed some extra support. I threw my hat in just to give it a go. And then literally within six months a year, really, really enjoying it, got the bug and just started progressing a little bit in terms of self-development, went on some courses. Uh, and then eventually um, just got to a position in my life where I, I thought this is something that I was doing all right at, I thought I was doing okay at, and I thought it's something that I'd like to get into a little bit more seriously and maybe maybe forge a career out of it. So took the decision to, to uh, quit my job, went back into education, went, went full-time education in terms of a degree because uh, I hadn't been through university or anything like that. At a younger age, I'd gone straight into work after leaving school. Um, so worked nights, went to university in the day, which is obviously quite difficult, but obviously rewards were at the end of it and I just felt obviously I had a family at the time mortgage as well and I just felt like football's a little bit insecure at times job wise I just wanted something else to, to back myself up so I went down the teaching route as well so I got, got a good qualification in terms of me, me teaching qualification at the end of the degree and then just started getting into education and, and working got some opportunities I was lucky to get the, uh, an opportunity with with crew uh uh, working in the, in the girls' side, that was just starting to develop around about that time. So I got my foot in the door there. And then just took it from there, really, just, just working full-time in terms of teaching and then just working outside of that as well in the evenings, like most coaches do, and just picking up stuff and just, just progressed along there, got some other opportunities in terms of different clubs and so forth. And eventually the role came at the university, which, again, I was just extremely lucky to get. It's, it's just an absolutely perfect job for me, so... 
I'm lucky. I, I need. I'm the type of person. I just need a little bit of variety in my life. In terms of, I just don't want to do the same thing all the time. So, I, I, I just everything I've got at the moment is probably perfect for me. And you know, I, I say it all the time. I'm extremely, extremely lucky, and I, I'll never forget that. So, I think there's a couple of key things in there for me. First of all, I think you know that it's a great achievement. Obviously, done I've done what you've done so far. But I think something that a lot of coaches do go through is having to maybe balance a few different things uh, at once not just because the fight you know let's be honest you know that in football the money ain't the greatest all the time um there is an inconsistency like you said uh, or lack of security in, in in many ways but i think we also need that variety whether that be working in multiple different environments to get those different experiences whether you know there's that element of coach coaching player development as well as play um as well as the coach development part of it so just you know you talk there you know, off the back end of that, you know, you, you're quite lucky to be in the role that you're in. Would you mind me just expanding a little bit on what your role is at the university and what exactly that looks like on a day-to-day? Yeah, so in terms of the actual role, so I'm classified as a programme leader. So I run I run an actual course, uh, which, as I mentioned before, is the football coaching management. So it's a three-year course. Uh, so students progress uh, throughout the three years and at the end of it, come out with a, with a full degree, just like they would at any other university. Obviously, just this particular one's football coaching and management. Um, so my main role is just to make sure the programme, first of all, is, is fit for purpose. So it, it's up to date in terms of industry, So which is really helpful. Just go back. That's one of the reasons I want to stay coaching at the moment as well. And all the other staff uh, on the course as well, they're all coaching as well. So we've got staff over working at Burnley Academy, Manchester United Academy, uh, semi-professional football, um, um, Man City as well. So we've got we've got up to date uh, staff in terms of the industry, and we think that's really important. So we can talk to the to the students about what we did last night or what we're going to do in two weeks, rather than what we did three four years ago. Because again, as most people are aware, coaching's ever changing, and you look at coaching where it was ten years ago in terms of what what was the requirement in terms of play development, it's completely changed. So that's really important uh, for us. Um, and in terms of day to day, mainly involves teaching in terms of the classroom so it would be a lecture but then also we do time out obviously on the pitch as well which is obviously key in terms of pitch time in terms of uh, applying what they've just learned in the classroom in the actual practical environment so it's usually around about half, half the years around about teaching other half years just uh, doing some research doing some reading uh, prepping ready again for, for, for the next part of the of the semester and so forth so again, different. Even with that, there's all different elements to it. We're lucky again with different years. So year one to year three is completely different for the student as well. It's it's obviously a new environment coming from a, a school or college background into university. So so again, one of my one of my main jobs there is to support them through that process as well. Um, so it's basically just trying to give them the opportunity to to learn to, to get some knowledge. But as we as we say to them constantly, it. We really put a load of emphasis on them going and getting some experience, like you just mentioned before. They, they can learn everything they want to in the classroom and off of us, but they've got to go and get some some placements outside of the university, some local clubs, get some time on the pitch. I mean, hopefully, at the end of it, they're ready for uh, the industry in terms of they can go and get some sort of employment in terms of coaching, whether that's within an academy, whether it's within a private academy, whether it's community coaching, whether it's quite a lot of these international uh, academies that are set up across the world now. So we've got students all over the world who've left us and gone on to employment. So hopefully we've given the tools to go and be successful in that. Awesome. And I think, I think you, know, you make a great point. There is ever uh, an ever-growing industry here for coaches to kind of get into. But one of the things I really want to kind of uh, look into to start with, and you mentioned it there about 
staying modern, staying current, uh, and making sure the courses and the, and the, the content is appropriate, essentially. Now, there's going to be a lot of coaches out there who haven't gone down the academic route, if you like, um, and they've gone down maybe the traditional co uh, coaching uh, pathway. What would now entice someone to go in there again? Why would they want to go down this route? And, uh, you know, I'm doing the route myself, so I, I understand it, but there's going to be a lot of coaches out there thinking, do I actually need to go and get a degree? What am I going to pick up on that degree that I'm not going to maybe get on my B licence or my A licence and so on and so forth? Um, even, even in the course that I've been on and other, other ones that I've observed, I've had people who have been on these courses often say, I haven't really picked up anything different than what I did maybe on my B licence or on my A licence or on my advanced youth award or whatever whatever qualification they may have had prior to that. So what, what, what would you say to those people there that are thinking, right, is it something even worth going into? What are the benefits and what am I going to pick up on here that I wouldn't if I just went down the traditional yeah, pathway? Absolutely. Is it an alternative yeah. to those that maybe can't necessarily get access to the B licence or get access to the A licence because of maybe the circumstances where they work, lack of experience or whatever else that may be. Um, and just a final piece, I think everything that you've, you've mentioned there as well, I think is really key. And I, in terms of getting that knowledge, but I just want to kind of leave leave something with the listeners to think about, isn't it? And that's learning, not just not not to get knowledge, but learning to take action. Yeah. Um, the knowledge is great, but it doesn't mean anything unless you take action on it. So just yeah. kind of just follow on that effect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, some some really good points. I think first of all, in terms of of maybe considering going into this sort of route, um, I think the biggest part of it is you get the why out of the courses. So it's a little bit more understanding of why you're actually doing stuff. So again, we, we quite often as coaches, and again, I've done it myself, we'll, we'll go out on, on a pitch, we do it and, and we put a practice on and we think it, it's right and, we, and we've seen it and it looks like a good practice and so forth, but we don't quite understand why we're actually doing it or what's the purpose behind it or what in terms of this play development and so forth. So hopefully throughout the, the course, uh, students will get the information and get an understanding in terms of the, the theoretical side behind things and, and understanding why. So specifically, let's look at understanding how how players learn. So maybe how, how especially the younger children learn, what it is they need to learn at certain stages, how they learn and so forth. And we'll get a deep understanding in terms of what specifically we should be doing on the pitch. And then we can also then go and show them the how, so how you achieve it. So this is why we do it. And then like I say, when we go into the pitch, it's then how you achieve it. Um, and then I think the other thing in terms of these courses, like most before, sorry. before you move on, just pause you on that one. Yeah. Well, what what would you say to those coaches who are thinking about, well, why can't I get that through the traditional core coaching pathway? I think you just take it takes time. I think it's it's a complicated process. Again, foot, football is is very straightforward in terms of the sport and in terms of and coaching looks quite straightforward. From the naked eye, if, if you stand up, sorry, if you sit in a stand and watch somebody coach, it looks quite straightforward. Um, but but unfortunately, it's not. It's it's very complex because the complexity behind it is that you're yeah. dealing with human beings, and therefore that that makes it a complex environment straight off. This is quite an interesting point to make. I, I do agree with you, um, but I would also go the other way and say, right, as complex as it is, it's still simplistic in in many ways. 100%. The practices, I always emphasise in terms of like practices in the game of football is very simplistic and we should make our practices simplistic in terms of making it straightforward for the players to understand and so forth. But there's still the complexity within it in terms of how different 
players, for example, within that practice, even though it's a simple practice, they will be learning in a different way. They will be at a different stage of their development. They will need different needs within that practice. And it's been able to recognise all of that. And it's recognising when the practice needs to be moved on and when it doesn't and when we need to go and step in and intervene and when we shouldn't. So that's the complexity around it in terms of understanding all of those needs within that, that particular environment. Mm. Like I say, as soon as you throw humans into it, into the mix, and especially young humans, that the environment becomes extremely complex. And especially when we're dealing with, if, if we're going to the high end, if we can call it that in terms of an academy and so forth, and we're trying to produce and develop players, then obviously their needs are probably a little bit more um, higher than maybe in a grassroots environment where maybe we're just there for, for fun uh, and just to enjoy the football, which again, even then is quite a complex environment. But if you want to go in and get a career out of it and in terms of what to go and work at a high level and, and, and reach our potential as a coach, we really do need to understand everything that's going in within that environment. And the only way you're going to do that is to learn about yourself and then and learn about the people that you're coaching. hundred percent. I think one of the biggest things I've picked up on, on my journey through the, the, I guess, the academic route is that it, the why piece. And it's a lot more about the self-reflection and developing that self-awareness around the why, essentially. Um, but, you know, sorry to pause you there, but um, you were going to say that obviously some of the other benefits obviously going down this pathway. Yeah, I think you've all know that I try and stress massively to the students when, when they come on is, is it's about themselves as well. It's not just learning about the subject, it's learning about themselves. I, I constantly say to them, do not do not come on the course to get the qualification. Do not come on the course just to go at the end of it and get a piece of paper and say, right, I've got my degree. Because what will happen is, and we've we've seen examples of it that they're, they're leave but they'll have the qualification which is fantastic but they're leave doing exactly the same things they were doing three years ago so therefore they haven't actually learned they haven't actually developed to just pass what they needed to pass and, and that, that that's 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 huge in terms of when it comes to employment especially the piece of paper will get you through the door in terms of maybe an interview but in terms of actually passing the interview and actually getting a career out of it which again whether that's 30, 40 years within the game, you need to actually be developed as a person. You need to be open to learning. Because again, as, as yourself, you know, coaching, we were constantly learning, reflecting and trying to improve. So you've got to get in that habit straight away. So it's put, it's, it's getting them to understand that they're not just to develop as coaches, but as people as well. And put, things like putting themselves in, in uncomfortable positions and putting them in themselves in environments which they wouldn't usually want to do. So for example, part of the course, Obviously, it's practical element, and we'll, we'll ask people straight away who wants to have a go and put a practice on in, in front of everyone. And it, it's uncomfortable, like I mentioned before, but that's the way to improve, to go in and do it in front of your peers and in front of staff and to get feedback off your peers and so forth. That, that's hard. That's that's really difficult. But the benefits from it are huge in terms of what you can actually get back in terms of, of feedback and comments and so yeah, forth. Yeah, I think 100%. You know, similar to yourself, and I've delivered uh, many of the courses to County FAs over the last few years as well. Um, and one of the biggest things I often say to the coaches that come on the courses um, is that you, you need to really take advantage of this opportunity while you've got it. If you only get six days or seven days or 10 days, however long the course may be, come on this course, you've got access to not just us as maybe coach developers, but you've got access to peers who are also coaches. And the, and the important thing to remember is that we've all got different experiences, we've all got different strengths and areas for development. And then beyond that, it's there is no one right way. And this is where I guess the new, the, the, the restructured pathway over the last few years in particular has allowed coaches to have a bit more freedom 
um, to express their way of working in the way that they feel is right for the environment they're, they're, they're working in, which again comes back to the previous point you made about putting these practices on and but understanding the why. You know, often, often I say to the coaches that it's great, come and look at the practice, but it's not about what practice I put on or, or the next the, the next shooter puts on or whatever practice you've seen on the weekend. You need to understand the the, the, the mechanics behind it, essentially. What what was the reason why that practice was the way it was? And it's not to say that you can't use that practice as, a, as, as then a template for your own environment, but don't think you can do an exact mirror, mirror image of what it, what it is because it probably won't work. Yeah, I think we've all been there at some point in our journeys where we've seen a practice. Well, let me try that. But maybe we didn't understand a deeper meaning, the reason as to why it was done in the way it was. And it might be that you've delivered a practice uh, today, Carl, and then I, I utilize that template and say, well, okay, based on the players that I've got, I might need to make the distances slightly smaller or slightly bigger or work through it in a different way rather than, rather than work through it. And it's, you know, just an open, it's an open session. It might be blocked practice or, 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 or some sort. So just, just to kind of build on that then, how have you found the change over the last few years in terms of the way the, co- the traditional coach, you know, the, the core coaching pathway has gone? And would you say that courses like the one that you're delivering on are something to complement or provide an alternative? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, I, I completely agree in terms of the change that it made. There's a lot more flexibility and there's a lot more freedom. Again, we, we, we talk about players first of all in terms of giving them freedom to make decisions and to, to be their own type of player and so forth and I think to do that you've got to do the same with coaches and I think that's what's happened in, in the last um, 10 years in terms of coach education especially within within England and so forth um, I think we also need to be a little bit careful with it as well just that I think sometimes we, we, we can go too far with it and we just Get, give coaches maybe a little bit too much freedom in terms of they, they still need that understanding in terms of the technical requirement of the game because we talk about again being simple but there's technical requirement to it and there's tactical requirement to it and there's psychological requirement to it in terms of making the right decisions at the right times uh, producing form the right technique of a skill and so forth so we, they still need that underpinning and I think that's something that we try and do in our courses well, because we recognise that that shift and change in coach education. So we recognise what's happening outside of our walls. So we've got, it's no point then replicating that because they can go and get that there. We need, we need to uh, supplement it in terms of this is maybe what you're not getting. And that's understandable because, again, coach education is quite short in terms of the days and so forth. So, so that's expected. So let, let's recognise what they're not getting within those courses and make sure we are actually getting it with our own course. So I think a lot of the key bits we, we, we understand to introduce is, is the mechanics in terms of actually how you do perform uh, certain techniques or certain tactics around the game. We're going to reasons behind why players need to be able to understand it and do it. We show them how to do it and so forth as well. So we're almost shifting a little bit back to how the old coach education used to be in terms of like the old level two and the old level three. Um, but at the same time, making sure it's, it's current and up to date in terms of what it looks like in the academy. I think what people forget sometimes is when if you see a coach and, it, and the practice is going on and there's, and there's limited impact from the coach, whether that's at Manchester City or Manchester United, that these are experienced and educated coaches. That they, they, they've set up a practice where basically the learning is taking place during the practice and it doesn't need a huge amount of interventions. But when they do go in, that small snippet of information they give is absolutely key to the players. But they, they've learned that. That takes time and that takes experience. I, I, we can't I, just go and copy that. 
100% agree. And I was literally having a conversation with someone yesterday on that, in, in that, well, there's a couple of things that you've touched on that I'm going to, I want to be able to kind of delve deep on. But that last point in particular, where sometimes the best coaching is done where you're actually just standing back and observing. Um, and I think traditionally, especially, you know, maybe more, not so much in the last 10 years as, you, as you've touched on there, but prior to that, there seems to be a perception of what coaching should look like. So I actually remember, you know, I've, I've been in I've been in experiences where I've done, I wouldn't say it's not been limited intervention, but there's been limited instruction given. Um, and then a lot of my work in that session might be around question, just to kind of develop the awareness and help uh, get clarity on what the players have actually understood from the practice rather than telling them what to do or what to look out for. And I've actually then been questioned at times by parents, maybe watching a session saying, you know, so, you know, it's great what you're doing, but when are you going to start coaching? Like, well, no, I am coaching. And it, it, and I think it's, it's important that we understand that there's this many ways to kind of skin this cat, if you like. Um, but also on that, and I think, you know, you, you touched on it there as well. I think over the time that we have been given in the last 10 years with, where the pathway has kind of shifted a little bit, I definitely see its benefits. Um, but I think a lot of coaches have taken that and, and looked at or have maybe neglected just how important that technical part is. Yeah. Um, and I think to some extent, the pathway has allowed them to kind of get away with it um, because it's, it, it basically, you know, it, it, it basically says, right, come and do what you want. Just have a reason for it. Whether that's right, whether that's wrong, I, I'm not too sure. But at the end of the day, there's still, there's still a framework that needs to kind of uh, meet the competencies uh, with. But, and I've, and I've been quite vocal about this before. I think it, it's great in terms of maybe developing a range of types of coaches and, and maybe potentially more specialist coaches in different areas of the game. Um, but I definitely have seen from my experiences, all the learners coming through on these courses, that the, 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 the level of technical detail has, for me, dropped dramatically. Um, and even just the lack of appreciation for it has increased massively. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, again, it's, I think... It, I'd agree with a lot of what you're saying, and I think it's trying to understand what what the pathway is about, maybe in a little bit, and try and maybe look at the bigger picture around it. I think, do especially when you look at the the lower levels in terms of your level one and your level two, most of that is just about mass participation in terms of, of grassroots, and in, and and getting just kids in an environment where they can just go and play and enjoy it. And that is absolutely crucial and key, not just because they're the children, and that's what they should be doing. They should just be playing football and enjoying it but in terms of the game of football itself to make sure we, we keep kids involved and we keep coaches involved as well. So those early stages are absolutely key just to get, to get that environment right. And that's probably why we spend more time and talking about the type of practices being game practices rather than drill types and so forth and just using intervention sorts of challenges and so forth. I think once you then progress into your level three or your A for B and your A for A, I think that's where you really start to get into to the detail and really breaking it down. And I think that's where that technical and tactical component is required. I think maybe where we, we trip ourselves up sometimes is not maybe recognising that as or helping coaches recognise that is the difference in terms of if you want to progress and, and go on to that UA for B or UA for A. You real, you're going to have to have some real knowledge around the actual game of football and the requirements yeah. uh, to actually play it. So it's just it's it's getting it's difficult because there's never a right or wrong answer. It's just trying to get that balance right for me in terms of just recognizing what what the early courses are for 
and then recognising what the later courses are for and what the requirements for those later courses are. Yeah, I, I think you make a great point there. I, I, we just got to highlight that, obviously, over the years, the, the pathway has changed. But going back to what you said there, it's about mass participation. But back, you know, certainly when I did my level two and my level three, there was still a heavy, heavy, heavy load and attention paid to that technical aspect. So the, the question would be, there's going to be a lot of co coaches out there who maybe don't necessarily want to go down the degree route. And I'm not sure if, you, if, if the courses that, that you're running in particular um, would, would go to the extent of covering that element of technical detail that might be missing from the core pathway now. But there's also a lot of coaches out there who maybe want to develop that understanding, develop that knowledge of the technical aspects, maybe don't have ambitions of doing the UA for B or going down the UA for A route, but still want to obtain some of that knowledge. So what would your advice be to those coaches there? Because I know, like I said, when I did my level even my level one, to be honest, level two, and the, even the UAFB, there was a lot more focus around the technical te uh, technical elements. And to be fair, it's probably more dominant than anything else. Um, they probably, I think it was just when, in and around, when it kind of maybe just really, really started pushing the whole four corner model thing. Um, but the technical thing was still kind of very, very much dominant within that. Um, but then when I went and did my A license, it was like, it was one of the earliest courses on the, of, what I would consider the new format was part of the transition period. So it was actually a, a little bit old style, but there was a little bit of experimentation taking place as well, um, which, you know, I, I consider myself quite fortunate in the sense I've, I've almost been able to experience the best of both worlds uh, in that respect. And then that, that supported again um, by when I did the advanced youth award um, gave us lots to think about how to support in different ways. But obviously, like I said, a lot of coaches aren't very going to be thinking, well, there's going to be a lot of coaches listening to this anyway that aren't even thinking about going that route. Or in some cases, they're thinking they could want to go down that route, but then just not getting access to the courses. So well, what would you say to those? And how much emphasis should be then placed on actually, should there be those core pathways, core courses, so level one or UA4C, what it's going to be now and uh, instead of the level two and UA4B, as well as maybe more dedicated or bespoke CPD events that might be accessible between that? Yeah, I think I think a lot of it you can, you can do yourself in terms of learning. In terms of sorry, the dog's going mad downstairs. You know, um, but a lot of it, first of all, is it, it's, it's recognizing the environment that your players play in, and then recognizing what they need to do within that environment. So when I'm talking about the environment, I'm talking about the format of the game, probably. So in terms of whether it's a seven v seven game, nine v nine game, eleven v eleven, whatever format it is, and then recognize when, when we're coaching, we quite often just get. We just lose ourselves in, in the game and get and really worry about the game. But sometimes you just need to take a step back and just observe what's happening within it. So I'd say to them, so if let's look at dribbling, for instance, in terms of technical requirement for dribbling. Watch your players when they're dribbling. Watch when they're successful and watch when they're not successful. What's the difference between the successful dribbles and what's the difference between the non-successful dribbles? And what are they doing well? Yes, just on that, you just, just yeah. kind of, uh, you know, for anyone to kind of maybe paint a better picture for them. What are we talking about there technically and what are they, how, how their physio physiological differences maybe? Yeah, so, so yeah. probably whenever, when there's an act for me, whenever there's an aspect of the game and we talk about this four corner model, usually all four corners are happening at the same time. So if you look at the dribble, they've got, to, first of all, they've got to identify when it, so psychologically, you've got to identify first of all when it's the right time to dribble and what type of dribble they're actually going to execute and the timing of it and so forth. And there's the confidence and the, and, and the self-esteem within it to actually how they approach it. A lot of kids, when they're dribbling, if they haven't got high levels of confidence or self-esteem, they're, 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 they start dribbling, but their first instinct is then to turn around and yeah. face back the goal because they want to protect the ball with yeah. their body. So straight off, so there's a you can recognise that straight away as a coach 
that they've got they've got to be positive and they've got to approach the dribble and just go and basically just go for it. Yeah. And if they lose the ball, we lose the ball. If they get past the player, fantastic. But the thing is, they've got to go forward with it and approach the player in, in, in that manner. So that's that's the psychological element of it. Hundred percent. Just on that, then I think, and I'm so glad you mentioned it because, like I said, you know, I've been having, I, have, I speak to coaches all the time, and you know, right now I'm mentoring a lot of different coaches. And one of the conversations I had with one of them recently was that, yeah, doing a session on dribbling is great. You need to have, you, there needs to, you need to understand there is different types of dribbles. So whatever practice you're setting up for them, they need to be able to recognise the reason why they're dribbling in that second or in that moment. Is it to dribble to pass? Is it dribble to shoot? Is it dribble to re- retain possession and maybe recycle or whatever that might be? Yeah. Absolutely. Again, so it, it goes. It goes back to um, the practice design again. So if you put a practice design on for me, that that that's when you've got to have that before and after element of it. So if we're doing a practice round dribbling, for instance, there's got to be something after do after the dribble. Otherwise, there's no real purpose to it. So if those practices where you dribble and stop the ball on a line, you wouldn't do that in a game of football. So. Have have an option or options. So once you dribble, you can either then pass to a teammate or you, you, know, you can have a shot on goal. So they're understanding then why they're actually dribbling and what. And then they also understand that after the dribble, they do actually have to do something else as well. So it's that that element of the game. And it's also how how the ball comes into them off the dribble as well, because that's really important. Because they're going to get a pass into them in a game. That's usually how they start off dribbling. The first thing is that the pass will come into them. So think about where that pass would come from in relationship to where it happens in a, in a game of football. So it, it might be from behind. It might be defender passing into a midfielder. It might be more horizontal in terms of a midfielder playing out to a wide player. But wide player is probably usually slightly more advanced than the midfielder. So it's an angle pass. So again, they need to think about that. And again, so it, it's that's when we say, look at what happens in a game of football. So recognise. So when we talk about what happens in terms of dribble, but recognise recognise where it's happening on the pitch, what's happened before and what happens afterwards. And then going back to that actual performance, so we talk about the psychological, the next bit's the physical. So in terms of the balance and coordination that's needed to perform a dribble successfully is really key. I mean, the acceleration in terms of to get away from the player afterwards is also key. So that's all the physical requirements. Technical requirements in terms of which side of part of the foot you use, in terms of the feints, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. So you can get the information. It's there for you. It's happening constantly every week for you in, in the games. It's just having um, the, almost the, the confidence as a coach, just not worry about trying to coach the game, but trying to actually watch the game and understand what's happening in front of you. Then you can take that information and put it into a session and into a practice. And that, that will really benefit your players rather than maybe trying to help them during the game by giving them instructions or, or whatever it may be. Absolutely. Right, Carl, you know, you make some great points there. And I just want to take you back a few moments. I think it's really important to highlight in that that piece around understanding where the balls come from, what's the what's the follow-up action or what's happened before that, where the, you know, what type of pass came in. And the, the way I often kind of explain to maybe uh, coaches or is no matter what you're doing, every component that you're working on, whether it's dribbling, whether it's passing, whether it's shooting, whatever it is, it, it has to be paired with another component. Now, within that pairing, it doesn't mean that you have to literally focus on one component over the other. But if you, for instance, if my focus is on finishing, I don't necessarily need to put too much emphasis on the passing or the dribbling or whatever else might be before that. But it needs to be involved in the practice. You can't just have a practice where they're just finishing. Or better yet, pay attention to the fact that, okay, if they are finishing, it's usually a pass to finish 
a dribble to finish, or if it might be a pass to pass or a pass to a dribble or a pass to a finish, or in some cases it might be a tackle to a finish, as an example. And I think it's really important for, for, for coaches to maybe think about that as part of their practice design in particular. And you talked there you know, a few moments ago about it's, the information is there, it's in front of you, observe it, have a look at what's going on. And I think you make a great point in saying that when it goes right, what's happening when it's not working out what's happening or in some you know in another way what's not happening in comparison to what was happening if that makes sense there's a lot happening going on there but um i think just to highlight on that then you know just how important it is for coaches to and again i'm so glad you brought this up because i again have another recent conversation with another coach about the importance of if you're not going to actually be outward outwardly giving that technical information to the players just maybe speaking on how important it is for us to get clarification and understanding on, on whether the player is actually conscious of what's happening. Um, and what, what I mean by that is many a time we see players and even players, that have, you know, if, if, we, if we're being honest, are nowhere near good enough technically pull off a, a wonder shot or and you just think, how the hell did he produce that? And that that's the piece I'm talking about there. It's, they're able to execute on something, whether it's once, twice, or consistently, but without having an understanding of maybe the technical bit that goes into that, or in, you know, the, what I like to refer as the recipe, if you like, then if it does start to let them down somewhere along the line, they'll never know how to work it out because they don't actually have a clear understanding of what it is that's giving them that success in the first place. So maybe just speaking to that for a second, that if you're going to be a coach that's maybe not going to be outwardly giving all the information all the time, just how important it is to actually develop or get clarity on the understanding the player has for that technique, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, a good example you can use is, first of all, because we, we talk about recognising when they've made a mistake and so forth. Uh, a common word we use, and it's a great word, don't get me wrong, in terms of coaching, so it is, we, we tell the player they're unlucky. So if something goes wrong, we'll say unlucky. Now, we'd speak to a student about it and say, you've got to take that out of your vocabulary. And instead of saying unlucky, recognise that it's actually a time to go and coach because it's usually not unlucky. It's usually something's not quite gone right. So that it might be unlucky because they've attempted the pass, which is fantastic. But when the pass, when they've actually tried to make the pass, it's not quite worked out. Either they've made the wrong decision or they've executed it incorrectly or whatever it may be. So in terms, it's very difficult, don't get me wrong. But instead of maybe saying unlucky, recognise there's a that's, that's a trigger for you as a coach to go in and step in. Now, again, we might not have the knowledge at that time in terms of exactly what went wrong, but quite often we don't have it, but quite often the players do. So in terms of when we say about asking them to understand in terms of what they have done wrong, that, that, that's the approach that I would take. I'd use that Q&A system. So in terms of fantastic, could see you tried to make you pass there to, to, to Jimmy or Julie, whoever it may be. It didn't quite come off. What, what do you think you need to do differently next time? And they probably know the answer because they've actually, they're, the, they're the person who's going through the actual performance and trying to actually execute it. We're just observing it. So their knowledge is a lot better than ours in that yeah. instance. Just on that, then how important is it? And I and I, I think it's really important personally. How important is it then to have those same conversations when it does go well? Oh, hundred percent. It, it's it. it uh, the only thing I would say on it is what we don't want to do is stop it to say, "Well done, that's brilliant." It's it's recognizing the right moment to go and do it. So they might do a dribble. So let them carry on doing what they're what they're doing and let the game carry on. Then once they're finished pull them to one side and go, 
do you know what? That's exactly that's exactly what I want you to do. That's exactly what you need to do in those instances. Did you see how you went past that player? Did you see how you use that particular feint? Mm. Or do you see the confidence you went into because you, you didn't turn your back on the ball yeah. anymore? You were just confident. That's exactly what I need from you every single time. And yeah, absolutely. And so they recognise it. Yeah. Done well. no, yeah. I, think, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's that age-old thing of what gets rewarded gets repeated. And I think in, in that moment in particular, whenever I find myself praising a player, and that's what I encourage all coaches to do as well, is praise the player, but give them a clear understanding of what they're being praised for. So as an example, in this case, it's not necessarily about the execution. You might not have finished the shot. But you know what, Carl? I love the way you opened up your body there because it allowed you to you know, let them yeah. run across. Now... You've got a visual of what you oh, okay, cool. That that was that was what really helped me to get that opportunity. Okay, fine. I'm gonna try and look to get more of that going yeah. in the future. So just just on that, then how important is it to and this again, this it, it's a debate I'm always having. The important everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. ...of imagery and pictures and visualizations within the coaching aspect. Because for me... I'm a, bit, I'm a bit when I was learning and I was going through the courses and a lot of the stuff, it sometimes some just didn't make sense to me. So what I started doing for myself is thinking, okay, cool. Let me watch it and let me create a picture or an image that can portray that. Because, you know, they say an image speaks a thousand words or picture speaks a thousand words or whatever it is. Um, and that's what it became for me. So every single thing I think, right, technical information here, right, what would that look like if it was an image? So if I'm talking yeah. about balance as an example, okay, um, I think, all right, spirit level. My my legs are the two black lines on the spirit level and my head has to be in between those, otherwise I'm out of balance as an example. So I've, I've started to kind of develop my own library of images that kind of marry up with all the different bits of technical information that I might potentially want to give a player or even if it's just might develop my understanding. But I've noticed also that within that, when I'm now sharing these images to the players that I'm working with, they're like, hey, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I just get that. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the other thing around, vis- around this, this visual image and so forth is another thing that's probably disappeared a little bit out of coaching, and, that, and that, that's demonstrations. And again, because we, we talk about this, what we're going through in the moment in terms of change, in terms of coaching, and a lot of it is conversation. We do this Q&A a lot, but I would say the biggest image that you can do is that an actual demonstration. I think that's disappeared out of the game quite a bit in terms of coaching. And I think we go back to that. Sometimes we're not confident to do it because maybe we can't do it. I'll hold my hands up. I'm, I'm probably one of the worst players on, out there. I think, I, think, I think that's a really good point. And it, it, the, I personally don't like demoing. Um, well, I, Betty, let me rephrase that. I like demoing, but I personally choose not to demo because I think yeah. that, um, it's a potential opportunity for someone else to get an extra repetition. Right. Um, but what I'm very mindful of and what I've started to do, especially over the last few years in particular, is try and study the players I'm working with more often uh, and, and more specifically looking at maybe what their dominant learning styles might be. So as an example, um, I might have yourself who is predominant auditory learner, uh, someone else who's maybe a visual learner, but I, I, understanding that about the individuals 
allows me to then see, right, okay, Carl in this case might not be the most technical player, but he just gets what I want him to do. So now I, I, I go into groups to try and study the players and think, okay, who's going to be my demo players? Carl might be my yeah. demo player because he just gets it. He might not be able to do it as good as some of the other guys in the group, but he can get it before they can. So I will use Carl as my demo player who can maybe perform a technique on a seven or eight out of 10 um, in terms of what I wanted, what I want it to look like. And now that Carl's done it, Jerome now picks it up and says, oh, okay, I get what Carl's doing there. Right. Okay. Now I can go and be the demo player after that. And now the demo is done at a higher level. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, co yeah. Coaches to kind of maybe study their players a little bit more and try yeah. to be more specific, but right. Who are my demo players? And don't just assume because you've got some players who are highly technical that they're going to be the players that just get it. Yeah, they might be the players that need to literally see it first and be conscious of that when they're actually now picking who does your demo rather than making the assumption, oh yeah, I know that he can do it. I know that he's good enough to do it. So I'm just going to pick him to do it. Yeah. Okay, it's, it's, get, it's, it's a really good point. And it's like, it's, it's that phrase again, getting to know your players and understanding your players' needs. And a good example of it is probably, you're always going to get a player, when you put a practice on, they'll come over to you and go, I don't quite get it. I don't understand it. And there, that's the player you probably just come stand with me for 10 seconds and just watch it and just see what the other players are doing. And I'll talk you through it as it's happening because they need that visual aid where they can actually see it. And, and that 10 seconds, even though they maybe lost 10, 15 seconds in the practice, will probably save them two, three minutes. Because if you just chuck them in the middle of it, it'll take them two, three minutes to try and work out what, what's going on because it's happening all around them yeah. rather than actually be able to see from it. Or some might just want to see... I'll have players where you, if you do it on a, on a tactics board and you write, draw it out and write it out, all the kids will leg off and go and do the practice. One will probably stay behind and read it and just look at it in a bit more detail yeah. because they want to understand it because they need that. Yeah. So again, it's it's understanding what your players' needs are and in terms of just trying, again, it's, it's difficult trying to address all of them because there's usually a large amount of them. But if you can help as many as you can in terms of that, and that, again, that's all visual aid in terms of it, but some just might, might need that verbal. They want, they want to have a conversation because they want to have the opportunity to ask a question back at it. So, well, what happens if I do this? Yeah. Okay, then we'll have a chat about it. And, and I'll tell you, so it, it, it's it's just understanding that for me. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I think it's one of the things I've, I've, I've got into habit of doing personally, and, and I encourage your coach to do as well, is just do the demo. Just do it. Because the thing is, if you rely on just being able to explain it, you're always, like you said, you're always going to get that one, maybe even two, just say, I don't quite get it. Just show it to them yeah. and talk it through at the same time. Right. Even if it's yeah. a half-paced demo, slow-paced walking demo, whatever it is, yeah. so that yeah. they understand the mechanics and dynamics, how the practice works. Yeah. I think that's the key piece. Um, getting the tempo right and getting the quality after that is, is, is a separate matter. But I think in the, in the initial stages, you need to get them to understand the practice. And I think the best way to do that is demo it as well as talk through it. Because the thing is, if you just yeah. talk through it, you're probably going to have to end up demoing it anyway. And yeah, absolutely. Um, whereas if you demo it, and, and, and another thing I, I try and encourage coaches to stay away from is asking that question, do you understand? Yeah. Well, they're only going to give you one answer because they just want to crack on with it, even if they don't know what they're doing. So they I think just want to go and play. Yeah, exactly. They just want to play. So I think, you know, just maybe exploring different language and, and how you communicate those messages. So for me, rather than asking a player, do you understand? I'll often ask them, right, so raise your hands if you're confident enough to explain back to me what I want to see. And now ooh, you get some half hands, some all the way yeah. up, and it's like, okay, cool. <laughs> if you're not sure what I want to see, come and stand with me. If you're sure, you, th you know, if you're quite sure about what you think, what you think I want to see, 
you guys crack on. And that's when you do that little piece to take them aside, right, have a look at what's happening here. Watch it for about 10, 15 seconds. And I often, before I even interject in that, I'll even say to them, just observe. And if you've got any questions while it's going on, then let me know. Because I really want them to pay attention to what's going on rather than me hijacking that process a little bit by kind of directing them to what to look out for. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. And I, and I totally agree with you. Know, that might be 10, 15, 20 seconds that it might take. But actually, in the long run, now they've understood it, you never need to go back to it again. Um, so I think there's some really, really good points there. But something I'm really keen to kind of kind of move on to, and, um, and I'm sure a lot of it's probably going to be maybe touching on some of the stuff we've discussed already. You wrote a book, The Intelligent Soccer Coach. Tell us a bit more about that, Carl. Yeah, it's, um, it, 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 it covers a lot of what we've actually been discussing. I was, I was just finding that I was giving information out to the students. I was giving information out to coaches during the coach education courses. Uh, information is getting well received. Um, but I just felt we needed a resource that they could go back to. Because, it again, it's a lot of information we're giving here. And it, 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 it's, it's difficult to try and get it all right at, at every single time. So I wanted to produce a resource that they could, they could go back to. I just found previously that books or resources out there gave practices, but again, we didn't give you the reason why it is a why it might be an effective practice for the players. So I wanted to give the reasons why behind the practices as well. Just on that, then um, now I understand why people might want to pick up a resource like that with practices and things like that in it. Um, but now I find myself getting to a point now where when coaches ask me, right, well, what would you do here? What would you do? Can you show me a practice in this? I actually, in some ways, almost, unless it's something dedicated or bespoke that they want support with, I quite often decline to show them a practice because I want them getting in the habit of thinking about what their players actually need. Um, do you think that those resources like that still really have a place if we're going to try and get these coaches to develop their own skill sets? And I'm, and I'm not saying they don't, because I think there is, is, is it sometimes good to have something to refer to or yeah. have as I think you do. Yeah, I think we do. And I, still, I use it myself. I think, again, part of the message across the book is, is understanding which, if you go and select a practice from the internet or wherever it is, that's fine. But first of all, recognise why you selected it and recognise what parts of it you actually want because you can't use all of it. Okay. So, for example, the, the, the best examples of these practices we see at Barcelona views and Chelsea views, whoever it may be. And then the conversation that you have straight away with the coach is, well, are your players playing for Barcelona? And the answer will be obviously not. Therefore, they cannot do the same practice. You know, if, if it was that simple, then we'd all be playing for Barcelona, but it's not. So therefore, your players cannot do the same practice as the Barcelona players. They can do something similar, but it, it is probable that they need something that's a little bit easier because they're not at that standard and probably never will be. And again, that's that's understandable. So it's recognising how you change these practices. And again, it's a, it, it's a, it's a key part of the book in terms of recognising what your players need and then putting on a practice that, that, that produces an environment for what your players need at a specific time. So we, again, we, we've talked about it a little bit before in terms of the step process. So we use the step process a lot within the book, recognising what do you need to change out of the four parts of step in terms of, or more than one of them, to, to then to change that practice. So I actually put a couple of practices in there, examples that, that you shouldn't use, that, that are good practices, but aren't, aren't actually uh, achievable, probably for the players you work with. Go through it and go, well, this is now what it looks like. Strip it down. Let's change this and change that. Now this is a practice that's probably more suitable in terms of your particular players. So 
I, I like I said, I use it as a starting point. I use other practices from people. I mean, I think, but what what is it I need to change to? And that's the key. You can get that in your head, recognizing what is it I need to change and not just replicating it. Then I think it's absolutely fine. Well, you, make, you mentioned some good points there. Now, I just want to kind of come, come back to that last one about looking at the practice, observing, maybe using the step principle and thinking about what ad adaptations need to be made. Before we get to that part, what would you say are some of the considerations or types of questions maybe coaches need to start asking themselves about that assessment process or that observation piece on what or rather what their play or who their players are what their demand, what the what the needs are, and how that then translates obviously now towards being the foundation of the adaptations that might take yeah. place in the step process. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think first of all, in terms of the key bit about observing and recognizing what your players need, I think first of all, depending on what age groups you, you work at, I think it, with with the younger ages, I, I would say we need absolutely everything, and therefore we shouldn't be observing and trying to rec think about what our next session is going to be about. I, I'm a great believer that you should have a curriculum where you basically plan your topics at the start of the season and that, that you shouldn't really go off of that. So to make sure we cover everything that they need within the game, so they're getting all that, that, that foundation stuff in terms of dribbling, short passing, turning, um, counter-press, that type of stuff in terms of just constantly getting it throughout the season. And uh, So it's recognising that it's a long-term process and therefore we've gotten what? If it's coming in as a six or seven year old and we stick with it, then we might have him for 10, 12 years. And therefore, we've got a long time to actually work on stuff. Um, so I'm a big, big believer in that. And I'm a big believer in recognising where they're at in terms of the game they're playing as well. So those younger ones, again, there's there's no point. With, so I talked about counter-pressing before. So we talked that for me, that, that relates to if you've just lost the ball, go win the ball back as an individual. That, that's what I mean by counter-pressing there. What we don't need to work out is how to do a high press, uh, even though it's obviously very trendy at the moment and obviously the big teams are doing it. I get that. But a seven, again, you, you constantly hear coaches who are working with eight, nine-year-olds telling them to go and press. And they probably, the kids probably don't really understand in terms of what it is. All we're going to do is run run to the ball and, and go and put pressure on the ball, which is, which is great, but that's, yeah. that's not pressing. And so, you talk there about the kids maybe not understanding, but I think often even the coaches themselves, they yeah, don't understand. Yeah. You know, I, I remember having an experience where on a course, uh, we're, just, we're just going through some scenario stuff and just maybe unpacking some of the experiences of the learners in the course. And one of the learners was saying, uh, you know, one of the challenges he faces is getting his team to press. So I said, you know, my, my question to him was, well, first of all, how old are they? What format the game and, you know, the, the rest of that. Um, but then, right. Do you know what the press looks like? And do you know what it takes to make that happen, if that makes sense? Um, and then he, he was like, well, I'm not too, you know, I think so. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I know what the press is and how to get it. All right, fine. So you see that your players are, or you've asked your players to press they're now not doing it in the way that you envisage it, that it should happen. Um, what's your response to that? And he was like, well, I'm just going to tell them to press. Okay. But you've now, you've already told them that. They haven't been able to do that. You're now going to tell them the same thing again. And tell me what the response was after that then. Well, they still didn't get it. Okay, fine. So we go, you, you basically, you go around in a circle now because, you know, you've told them to press, they haven't pressed, you told them to press again, they still haven't pressed. Now, clearly there's a disconnect somewhere. Um, now, 
disconnect would likely be. They're not too sure exactly what it is that you want to see, A, or B. They understand what it is that you want to see, but they have no idea on how to get it. Yeah. Um, which is where now getting that technical piece comes back in. So it's now, for me, I'm always asking, encouraging coaches to think, okay, fine. You've got an objective that you want your players to achieve. But what is your recipe? You need to know or have a recipe. There, is, there might not be one recipe. There might be many. But you need to have a recipe in order for how they can get that. Because somewhere along that way, where they get their successes, you can take this off. This happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. But somewhere along that way, sometimes it might not be successful and it probably will not be successful. But you need to be able to use that recipe as an identifier or as, as, a, as an indicator to say, right, okay, they've done A, they A, they've done B, they've done C. D is where it broke down, as an example. So you now know straight away as a coach that you can zone in on D and that's the area that needs to be supported. Um, however, another thing I often encourage coaches to also do is away from having that recipe, maybe consider two or three questions which could support your delivery um, in a way where you don't necessarily have to give the information, but you're asking questions to help the players understand the reason as to why they're doing something and trying to correlate the two together, if that makes sense. Yeah. What are your, th- what are your thoughts on that, Nate? And how does your approach differ? No, so I said, one, of, one of the things I always say to coaches is if in a similar situation like that is, well, that who should you be looking at? Should you be looking at the players or should you be looking at yourself? And the answer is usually you should be looking at yourself because if, 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 it's all, if the, all the players are struggling with it, so that, that's not one individual... On their, on their own, that's the whole group. So you probably should be asking yourself, then what am I doing wrong that they can't follow those instructions first or follow that information or whatever it may be? I must be doing something wrong. So it's either I've not worked on it or I don't understand it myself or the, um, the communication is not correct and so forth. So always look at yourself before you look at the player. I'll, I'll just stress that to coaches. And then the next bit is for me is just is, is being clear, being specific exactly what it is you, you want to achieve so that again, if you talk about a high press or press, whatever it may be, that that that's that could be anything. It's quite it's very very vague. So you need to you need to break it down and be a lot more specific. So you, instead of saying go and press, you might just go and say, look, as a group, let's work on stopping. If a player receives the ball, we, we've got to stop them from playing forward. So how are we going to stop them from playing forward and breaking that down? And the first approach and the first defender making sure that the pathway is closed off in terms of being the ball going forward. The two supporting players, making sure the two options that are the forward options are are, are covered as well, and therefore all of a sudden that player on the ball now is going to have to play sideways or they're going to have to play backwards. So it's breaking it down in terms of exactly be more specific in terms of what you, what it is that you want to achieve out of it. And I think again, it, it helps the players understand in terms of what it is that you want to get from it. Yeah, and I think kind of just marries off with the previous point that we were talking about, and maybe the importance of demonstrations as well, and actually having those in there. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and it just highlight it doesn't necessarily have to be done at full pace as long as you can show them the image that they're trying to work towards and then as the session goes on you maybe dictate a higher tempo or a higher intensity or yeah. you know quicker quicker speeds or whatever Absolutely. you might be looking for within that so kind of you know coming back to the book a little bit obviously you said that a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about is, is stuff that you've kind of covered and looked over in the book in in, in some way shape or form but just maybe from your perspective just Give us an insight of what you consider an intelligent coach to be. Yeah, so the, the three key elements from it, I was just trying to get um, the, the coach or the reader to understand three key things. It's understanding yourself, it's understanding the game of football, and it's understanding the players. 
that you that you're working with. So that for me is an intelligent coach. They recognise those three things. So we talked right at the beginning of the of the of the of the chat in terms of football's a simplistic game, and it is. But you've got to understand what it is, and and we talk about it being an invasion game. There's a goal to protect, and there's a goal to scoring. There's direction in it. We're trying to we're trying to progress forward. So in all invasion games, exactly the same, your netball and your basketball and so forth. So trying to recognise that and, and understand that when you put on your practices. So I, I know Rondos, are, I'm not a huge, great fan of Rondos. So especially when it comes to out of possession. Yeah. So in terms of, there's, there's no point in a defender trying to work in a Rondo in terms of getting defensive principles for me. Because what? the defensive principle of the game is to, is yeah. to protect what's behind you. Hundred percent, and I just just on that then, I, and I'm so glad you brought this up. And I thought I feel like I've almost read your book without even reading it, um, because a lot of the things you're saying are things that kind of marry up with the way I, the way I like to think and work around it in, in coaching. Just two parts here. First of all, maybe just highlight, if at all, any, and, I, and I, I've got an idea of what you might say to this. Um, how important it is for coaches to understand the principles of play, and beyond that. Um, how crucial it is that not only do they have that understanding, but they are actually every session they develop and design and implement and deliver or have which, you know, any part of that, that process is now linked back to those principles. It's, it's absolutely key. I, I think probably a good example of it is like a principle of the game in terms of when we're in possession is, is obviously making the pitch big and coaches will always talk about making the pitch big which is fantastic but most times when they refer to it they, they, they refer to the width of the pitch and quite often they forget about the depth of the pitch for example so we, we've got a stretch to play I and mean, then it's then understanding why you do that I mean it, it goes back to then making the units between the the opposition further apart and spaces between the 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 players in those units are bigger as well because the defensive principle of the game is to be compact to make the pitch small. So we're trying to stretch it so you start producing spaces within it. And by producing spaces within it, it's easier to progress the ball forward. It gives the players more time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you've got to understand what the game, how the game is made yeah. up and how it's played. So even though it is really simplistic, i.e. put the ball in the back of the goal, 100%. to actually be effective within it, there's, there's principles you have to understand about it. Yeah, and I think just on that as well, I think it's really key to just make a note of that. This is where the idea of, um, okay, your players might be getting success, but the question you need to ask is, is it, is it self-obtained success or is it manufactured success because of the nature of your practice? Yeah. Um, in the fact that the distances are not real or the distances are not appropriate for them to actually then become disorganised to then get organised. In fact, the practice and the way that it's set up and shaped and the size and distances and whatnot have already kept them in an organised state, which yeah. the kind of doesn't, it, if you like, it takes the decision-making piece away from them on when and where and how to go, if at all necessary. Um, and I think that that's a really key piece that I think a lot of coaches, in my observations, especially in the infancy of their coaching, or especially in early, if, if they haven't necessarily progressed up the coaching ladder, so to speak, or they're not um, full-time students of the game, if you like, maybe neglect to think about. Yeah, I'm saying a good example is an hour possession practice where, where you look at it, you go, oh, they're doing really well, they're defending really well, but then you go look at the, school, look at the space you're asking them to defend, though. Now, then, then look at the space you're asking to defend on a back stay. It, it, it's completely different. They're going to be successful because the space allows them to be successful. But being compact 
because the space allows them to be compact. They're not being compact because they're, they're changing the decisions or changing the position as the ball gets manipulated and yeah. so forth. They are naturally compact within that space. Uh-huh. Let's, go, let's go pull up practice now in a 10-yard, an area that's 10 yards or 15 yards wider. Yeah. Now let's see if they're successful. And, and they yeah. probably won't be as successful because that, that's more realistic to the game. And they're now having to make decisions and, and change constantly to in, in what they were. So it, it's it's massive. It's massive. Yeah. No, again, I feel like you're reading my mind, Cole. Because um, I think even within that, the, the, one of the other questions I always ask coaches to think was, right, have a look at the session that you put on. Um, have a look at the component that you're working on and have a think about what that might look like to you if it was in a match day. Now, on a match day, What's the decision that you want that player to make? So as an example, what's the decision that they have to consider? They are, they have to consider, right, how far this player is or whether they've got support or whatever those variables might be. Now, if those same variables in the way that you've envisaged it being in the game are not then present in your session, then how can you expect the transference, right? So, you know, quite simply, like, you know, if I'm or in, in some cases, if we're going to have a, a practice where, it might be a bit more directed. It might not be as uh, as uh, as random as 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 it could be. But if you're then asking a player to make a certain decision in your session, that you wouldn't then be encouraging them to necessarily make on a match day. Again, why are you doing it in your session? And I think this is a really important thing for I think coaches to kind of look at is actually what am I? What is my practice asking my players to do? And if they did that on game would I still be happy with it? And then, because then this is where you get the, that age-old conundrum of you've done all the work on the training ground, so to speak. You get to match day. They don't do what you were expecting them to do or what you want them to do on match day. Um, but then you turn around and say, well, come on, guys, we've been working on this all week. We've been working on this for the past three weeks. And the reality is you've talked about maybe the topic or the theme, but the practices that you have then delivered look nothing like what you now want them to do on game day whether that's because of the distances, the area sizes, the number of players involved, the types of decisions or the variables they're actually asking them to then consider. Um, and, I, and I think that is something that coaches really need to start paying closer attention to in terms of that, that finer detail of the practice design. And this is, this is not even taken into consideration necessarily the technical information, technical detail that goes into the practice or the techniques in whatever it is they're trying to complete or apply themselves with. Yeah, 100%. And it goes, again, straight back to start with chat about the complexity of actual coaching in terms of, yes, it's a simple game, but now we're starting to get into it now in terms of the complexity of it. And I, I, I agree with everything you said. I've just reinforced as well. Just just think about the environment in terms, of, again, the format they're playing. So in terms of when we talk about dribbling and so forth, so in, in the full version of the game, 11 v 11, how that looks like compared to what it looks like in a younger age group in a 5v5 or something is completely different. So don't go, this is where we go again, go, go, go copy what's happening in the professional game if you're working with young players. Watch what happens in your game at that format. Look at the areas that you have to dribble in and then produce that and replicate that within the environment. It's a key message around the book. Like if, if you don't do it in a matter of, they don't do it during the game, why are you practicing it? And it's, just, it's as simplistic as that in terms of it. You The match day for me is, 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 is your second training session of the week. Mm. Whatever it is, it's not. Don't look at it in terms of a match. Look at it as your as your next training session. Sure. So therefore, it should be linked in between sure. what happened previously and what's happening next. But I, and I, I think that's a that's a great way to look at it. And I think for me, and you know, please correct me if you feel differently. Um, the only way that it can truly become a, a 
I guess, a, a follow-up training session or, or a progression piece to what you've done in the previous session is if they have an understanding of what it is that they're actually looking at. Um, not just in terms of the theme, not just in terms of the topic, not just in terms of, oh, this is the practice, but actually what are the variables that we're having to consider in order for this to apply itself and make it and get some success out of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. So like one of the key messages in the book, or not key, so one of the messages that put the book that for people to consider is, that whatever you did on the training session on the Thursday, for example, use one of those practices as your warm up on the match day. Mm. Because if, if you want them to work on that, that will help them remember what they were, what we did Thursday night in terms of the key messages that were coming out on a Thursday night as a little trigger reminder for five, 10 minutes yeah. ahead of the game. And then all, the focus of the team talks, not about how we're going to, the, the team talks about what we did on Thursday night and what we're trying to do within the game. Yeah. And, and all- that helps with that extension. I totally agree with that. And just to kind of, you know, develop that further, you know, you talked about putting that practice on. I think maybe just speaking to, and this is something that I, I'm, I'm a bit a big advocate of, is, well, two parts to this, actually. First of all, there's a massive difference for me in terms of a variation and a progression to a session, right? I think traditionally and, 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 and generally, I think a lot of coaches see a progression and they just think, okay, I'm going to go from right foot to left foot, or I'm going to, I'm going to focus on the same thing. I'm just going to change the practice. For me, it's just a variation yeah. rather than progression. For me, it's right. Okay, if they're at this level, how do we how do we progress that further? So, uh, you know, maybe just if I'm doing a practice, whatever it is, I actually start to consider right. Okay, how does how does how does this now look if the opposition in this in this case are approaching it differently? So if I'm doing a a playing out from the back practice as an example, or I'm doing a crossing, you know, attacking in wide areas practice as an example, right? Can we have variations of that where maybe A, um, in in variation A or, or, or part A, if you like, uh, the players are looking to kind of really come on at us, full on, full pressing. Maybe part, you know, part B of that practice might be actually then rather than 100% in, they may be 70% in or they're 100% in, but only up to a certain point. So there's an engagement line for them to kind of kind of interact with it, interact, trying to then begin their press, if that makes sense, rather than just being full-on press, wherever it is sort of thing. And just maybe just speaking to how important it is to maybe provide different scenarios like that. Because one of the key principles for me, when I'm looking at designing my practices, especially if I'm uh, really trying to nail in on something, is if I'm working out of possession, I need to make sure that my in-possession is being done exactly as I need it because that's what they're going to come up against if and if that part is not right then the out of possession piece I can't really work on it and vice versa yeah definitely for, for that part we, we talk about especially at the university about coaching your topic and managing the other section so you coach one team and you manage the other one so therefore and for that for me the key bit for that is around practice design so if you talk about that playing out from the back if you uh if if you're working on playing out from the actual back, that's your topic. You've then got to try and manage the team who are trying to win the ball back. So you might you might reward them by saying, "Look, if you win it in this section of the pitch and you go and score, I'm going to give you three goals instead of one." So you're managing your position in terms of really making sure they go and press high to go and win the ball. I think then the other part of it as well in terms of again that progression. Again, think about the game. So I'll go back to the younger version of it. If you go back to that dribbling example. You dribble 1v1, absolutely fine. If you want to progress it, in a game, what will happen is if you take too long dribbling, eventually it won't be a 1v1, it'll be a 1v2 because one of the other opposition's teammates will come along and, and try and win the ball back as well. 
So you can have an extra defender making a, a recovery run from five, 10 yards away that, that, that gets into the practice a few seconds later and all of a sudden that's what it looks like in the game. So maybe just highlight how important it is to maybe identify exactly where that recovery defender starts from. Yeah. This, this is something that's really key. And I think a lot, a, a lot of coaches, in my opinion, think, oh, I've put this component in there. Yeah, you've put it in there, but it's not. It's, that's not how it would look. Look, yeah. And I think that's the key piece. Yeah, again, it's going back to what you said at the beginning in terms of observing your game. So, again, it will all look different for all. We could have 20, 30 coaches on here because they all work with different age groups at different levels and different and so forth. So look at what's happening in your games and look at what's happening in terms of where opposition players would usually recover from and so forth. And, and therefore, replicate that within your practice. I'm not saying copy exactly and try and set up how you think the next team's going to play and so forth. Just try and replicate similar scenarios that are happening within your game day, and mm. therefore put, then put put that on in within you within your sessions. And no, the only way you're going to do that is to watch your games and observe them and, and see what's happening in front of you. Definitely. So, can't you just come back to the book for a second? Then you talk. There's three key parts that you want to kind of take away. So, it's about developing understanding of self, um, developing understanding of the player. What was the second one? So, uh, is uh, understanding the game, understanding the players, and understanding yourself. So understand the game, understand the players, understand yourself. So if you kind of had to start, maybe, obviously, you know, you've got the content of the book there. What would be a good starting point for coaches? I'll often say, you know, the answers you get given are as good as the as good as the questions you get, the questions you're providing. Um, so what maybe some of the questions that coaches can start to think about asking themselves, do you think, um, to A, develop each of those three areas, yeah, um, I think the first thing is I think the key one is, is understanding yourself, and I think, like I say, I, I was thrown sort of into it, uh, but it's it's recognizing what you are good at. First of all, there's, we, we go into it, and we've got to recognize what what we're good at, and I think that's key. We often forget about that in terms of individuals. So, in terms for myself, because of my background and where I work, I was just really good at organization. I was good at communication skills and so forth. So I recognized that, and I made sure that came out within my practices. I then also need to understand what it is I wasn't good at. And therefore, let, let's identify what I need to develop. Just as it's exactly always look at coaching the same as you, you look at players. With your players, you look at what they're good at and you look at what we need to maybe develop. So just do it the same with yourself in terms of your coaching. Then go do something about improving the areas that you need to develop. So I, I didn't really understand it. I played it a little bit, but at a very low level. So I didn't really get fully understand it. So I went and watched games and I went and spoke to coaches who did understand it. And I was asking them why, again, why we did, why are you putting that practice? Why are you asking a player to do that? What was what the purpose of, of asking them to do that? So like a dead basic one was when they released the ball in terms of dribble, in terms of waiting for an, an opposition player to engage them before they released it, because it, it then pulls them out of position and starts creating gaps in their unit. So, right, I, I, I didn't understand, out of the time in my coat, I didn't understand that. And I, then, I, then I went and watched it and I could see it happening and I'm thinking, well, oh, look at that, look what the difference that now makes. So you've got to go and understand what you need. Yeah. And that goes back to then understanding what the actual game is and what and yeah. how, it, how it's made up. So I think that's really, really important around it. And I think you build on that well, that's a great point. And, and the question I always ask coaches to think, you know, and there's a lot of questions I'm trying to give coaches to think about is that right, if that's a decision that you want your player to make, whether in a game, whether in a session. The question you need to find out and ask, answer for yourself is what would make a player make that decision? And that thing, whatever it is, if that is not present, 
in your sessions, then how can you encourage and expect that player to make that decision if that stimulus is not there? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, the, the reason I try and add on to that as well is, is is to show them why you do it as well. So it's shown them to, like you've drawn that player out. Now look, so stop the game there now and go, look what's happened now. Can you see what's ahead of you now and what that's produced? And if you start understanding why we're doing it and what the outcome of it is, I think you'll get a better buy-in off the players as well. And again, they'll understand what, you, what you're trying to do. And I think the other key bit of advice, again, when we talk about understanding players, as I'd say to him, it's just understanding and recognising the kids, the children, most of the people that we work with in terms of coaching are kids. Even when we get to 15, 16 year olds, they are the, the, the kids. And we've, we've got to recognise that. We've got to understand that. We've got to remember, just remember what you were like as a child. And as a child, when you went to training or whatever it was, what did you want to do and how did you behave and so forth? Now, if you accept that, it's a lot easier when you get to training and, and realise this is going to happen in front of you because the kids. And what, what, what I don't want to do is, is start saying, wait for it to happen and then sort of try and solve it or whatever. Recognise it is going to happen. So what are you going to do to actually might prevent it from happening? And the thing is, is put on an engaging practices that are enjoying so forth. And a lot of the time they get bored and fed up because you're talking for 10, yeah. 15 minutes or they're stood around waiting to do something. So get yourself organised, put on practices that they're enjoying. And yeah. the practices in the session should be about them playing, not about us coaching. Yeah. And it's, it's things like that. It's just, and I think once you start to recognise and it's those sort of light bulb moments, and I it's what I'm just trying to achieve with the book. And all of a sudden, it makes coaching a lot easier. It makes coaching a lot more enjoyable, which, which is important. It makes it more enjoyable for the players as well. And uh, you, you'll see the benefits from it. And I think that, that's really important for me. 100%. I think it's something that's really key that I've, I've picked up over the years and I've, I've really started doing is... Um, asking the players what they enjoy about the practices because I think those are the key ingredients that we need to kind of keep around and um, there's going to be some things that they don't like and that's fine and, and it, I think the question is do they not like it because it's something that is not beneficial for them or do they not like it because they're not used to it and I think it, I think it's really important to ask that question as well um so yeah so within that it's also looking at that um that element of once you've put that practice in place have an understanding of how often that you're expecting that success to take place but also i think something you touched on earlier as well is making sure you're not jumping in at every opportunity uh, and i think one good tip i have for coaches to think about on that front is if you don't know exactly what you're going to say just let it run let it run uh, wait keep it as a mental note this is something that's happened and if you see it again it might then spark you to find out what you need to say exactly on it and if you don't find out what that is by the end of that session think right okay this is something that's happened what should I have said here? So kind of just, you know, just as, as we look to wrap up then, Carl, in terms of the book itself, um, where can people get access to it? And yeah. Where, where... Uh, best place is probably Amazon because uh, it's, it's available most places worldwide across Amazon. So you can go there. I mean, other, other book stores into online. So you, you like your Waterstones and so forth, book depository uh, for more, uh, wider spread in terms of people if they're a little bit further uh, afield. Uh, but yeah, it's really available. You Google it, it it's there. And so uh, loads of good feedback so far from it. So I hope people, I hope people have, a, have a look at it and, and awesome, get, get back to me. Awesome. And, you know, uh, honestly, I think we can go on for hours with this conversation in terms of uh, just delving deeper and deeper. But if there was, you know, 
any points in particular that maybe any listeners or viewers wanted to kind of pick up on or they wanted to maybe get in touch with you directly to ask you any questions? Is there somewhere they can do that as well? I don't know. Yeah, if I think the best place is on Twitter. So I'm, uh, again, uh, if you go on my Twitter page, so it's at carwild 75 um, you'll see on there, I share as much as I can with stuff. I, I, I answer questions on there. If coaches want to throw some questions at me as well, I'm happy to help out as much as I can. This is reason again behind the book. I just wanted to help and support as many coaches as, as I can. And hopefully I've managed to do that. Awesome. Well, look, Carla, it's been a real pleasure this morning um, having this conversation with you. I'm sure there's, been, there's some great, uh, great points that come up both um, for myself to take on board. And I'm sure the listeners will take plenty of it on board as well. So thank you again for your time. I really appreciate it. No, but mate, thank you for having me on. Uh, really enjoyed it. Just nice chatting again. So good. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.